Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy! So for those of you who know me, you know I love a good story. So I'm going to start out with a story as always. I'm bringing you back to the 30th of March, 2014. And I did Facebook that to make sure I had the actual date. When This was when I was back in college, I think, in Malaysia. And I think I was 18 years old then. Um, and I used to play a sport called floorball, which the best way I can think to describe it is like ice hockey, but not on ice. It's exact same formation. Um, and I used to lead and coach a team of girls um, who played in our state league league and that you know that was the season of the league and so you had a match every Saturday and you know that was the routine everybody knew that Um, and then came along the 30th of March 2014 and a few days before we had to play the match we already had our plan and we already had our formation ready and our strategy and we were playing the best team um, of the state so of course we were worried and of course we were nervous um, and and then I found out from half of my squad go to like the same school um, and their school made it compulsory to turn up for this extra classes thing on that Saturday itself so I, I thought to myself right I'm gonna play the best team in the league and have half my team not be there and you know if you know anything about ice hockey or floorball you will know that you need six people on the court one goalie and five players and then you have substitutes on uh, on the side who come in and out throughout the match um, and in a floorball you have like a two line so ten substitutes ready to go in and go out uh, because it's such a fast-paced game um, and due to the numbers my team would only have seven people now if you do the math I need six to play and I have one substitute um, which you know might not sound crazy to you on the screen but to me as a coach and as a manager that was the craziest number I've ever had to play with five girls on court one substitute and one goalie and so I brought my girls together and you know I had two options at that moment I had the option as a manager to just forfeit we were playing the best team in the city they their first line of players were all national players and now even international players and basically I knew we were going to lose <laughs> so I had two options forfeit don't save myself the embarrassment, save my girls the embarrassment and the tiredness from the game um, and just take the loss or teach my girls a lesson and show them that showing up to something that you've committed to is more important than um, winning the game essentially or saving face, um, you know, to not lose. So I decided, you know, my gung-ho 18-year-old self decided that I will be the best leader I can and I will teach my girls this even though I was very worried. So I told my ladies, I'm like, look, you know, um, we will lose, um, but we will practice and we will, if you play any sports or into sports at all, we were going to park the bus and just defend with our lives and try to minimize the amount of goals they score against us. So we met up more than usual that week. Um, We met up about three times instead of the one regular pre-league training. And I, as their coach, I made them a formation and a strategy and I said, okay, if we do this, let's practice it over and over again because we were so significantly outnumbered that I needed to play as well so I wouldn't be able to stand in the sidelines and just coach. Um, and so we ran through things over and over and over again. And so the girls were the co- most committed I've ever seen them. They were just like, yep, sure, doesn't matter. Turned up more times than usual for training, you know, gave up their time to do this and I was just really proud of them. So we turned up to the game and it's played 
in this massive stadium, right? And you look up and you see people all like, you know, it's two floors and people are sitting upstairs watching the game and the bottom is just the whole stadium and whole court. And I think to myself, right, <laughs> this is going to be an experience of a lifetime, you know? And But I'm the manager, I'm putting on a brave face. You know, girls, I'm the coach. I'm going to give them the motivation that they need to just show up today. So I watched the other team come in for the pre-warm-up, for the warm-up session before the game. Um, and they come in with their 15 people. They have two managers and coaches. They have their ball boy, water boy, whatever other boy you could get to carry stuff for you in a game. And they were prepared. And, you know, sometimes you can come late to the warm-up. Um, because obviously, we don't play professional floorball, so you can come late to the warm-up. And so people thought my team members were just not there yet. Um, so the seven of us were warming up, and it was five minutes before the game. And my friend from the, the pew, up, pew, I don't know what it's called, the chairs, benches, upstairs, um, sat down to shout it down at me, Rach, do you only have seven players? And I looked at him and was like, yeah, yeah, I only have seven players. And of course, everyone, the other team heard that and they were, you should have seen the look on their face. They were so excited. And um, they re-strategized their plan and, you know, they were going to go full on attack. And I was like, right, okay, brave face, my friends, we are going to get through this. So we start the game and I kid you not, the next 90 minutes of my life were probably some of the times in my life that I've been so amazed. We scored one goal after the other, after the other, even when we didn't plan to scale any goals, all we wanted to do was defend. And I really don't know what happened for that 90 minutes. We were very average player. I'm a very average player as well, very average coach as well. Um, but somehow, we we were scoring goal after goal after goal and the other team was freaking out and you could see them getting so frustrated because every attempt they had well, um, was not just not getting successful. Obviously, as 90 minutes passed and we only had one sub, we were getting more and more and more tired. So they managed to score some goals as well and it's two minutes before the end of the game and we're at a 6-6. Now, as a coach, I'm super happy with this because I didn't expect one, one more six. <laughs> Um, and also I didn't expect them to only be at six. I expected like 20 goals by now. Um, so I was really proud of my team and the other team called for, um, what's it called? Like not halftime, but like a break for one minute. Um, and I told my girls, girls, just, I'm so happy. Even if they score against us in the next two minutes, it doesn't matter. You guys have already surpassed my expectations. You have already, today has been great. It will go down in history for our club. We went back on court and I don't know what happened, but one of my girls scored a goal and the stadium erupted because I, oh, it still gives me goosebumps till today. I was so, so happy and so proud. I looked at my girls, some of them, the goal scorer was in tears. Um, the stadium was cheering and clapping and within 30 seconds, the whistle blew and we won. Um, what, you know, we didn't win the league, we came in second, but we won that game, that game that we went in thinking, we don't have anything. We'll just show up because we're committed and we will give what we have and we won. And we, 
I, I can't describe that feeling of being in the center of that court, hugging the team that I've, you know, I just, all I wanted to teach them was that it's important to show up and be committed. But my, ex, you know, my expectation was surpassed. And I looked up and saw all my friends and uh, teammates and different coaches and managers, and they all looked down at us and everyone, the crowd was screaming and cheering for a very non-professional match. And I just felt in that moment, you know, it's a visual that is stuck in my head because I just looked at my girls and thought all you did was show up and look what happened. As we go into the scripture I have today, I'll come back to this story and you will see why I told you this story later. But the scripture I'm going to read today and we're going to go through today is a story that is so familiar to many of you. If you were born and grew up in the church, you could tell me the story in your sleep. If you didn't grow up in the church, you could still tell me this story in your sleep. So turn your Bible to, with me to Mark chapter 6. <laughs> And you know, the Mark, we're going to Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44, and the heading of this story gives away the ending. Um, and if you're there, uh, I'm going to read together for us, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and thought. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Amen. I told you a familiar story to many of you, but hang in there with me. I really believe um, that God has something in store for us today. Um, so in my, uh, this, this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They all have a variation of this story, but the gist of it is similar. They were The disciples and Jesus were away. Um, they needed to feed a crowd that was there and Jesus who that Jesus had compassion on and was teaching. Um, there was five loaves and two fish given to them by a little boy, it says in John, who was carrying just his lunch. Jesus broke it and fed the 5,000 plus plus because it says in the gospel that it's only the 5,000 were the men. So there was predicted that might be there might be women and children as well. Um, the, pas the passage of scripture preceding this in Mark, um, Mark chapter 6, um, 
and in most of the chronological order was that Jesus had just sent out the 12 disciples so they had been just sent to go and do ministry essentially go and preach go and heal the sick go and drive out demons um, and go and spread my word um, and the other portion of scripture that precedes this is that Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist has been beheaded so the start the story starts off with the disciples coming back to Jesus in the book of Mark and um, to tell him about all they had done so they were quite tired from the fact that they had gone out and done a lot of things and Jesus also needing to retreat and needing to find a place of solitude and silence because in Matthew it says Jesus had just found out about John and the Baptist being beheaded. Now um, this is where the story starts off and I'm going to give you the topic I have for today um, and obviously I'll explain. So um, you know Many of you have been joining us in the X Partners Conference and this year the leaders, you know, we've been getting briefings and I'm sure you'll be hearing about this in the days and um, the years to come. But our mission as X Church and the focus that we have in the next few years um, is to make disciples. Um, and I love that if some of you tuned in um, to my X, no, Instagram live <laughs> session, you know, I was talking about how in X Edinburgh, I've had the privilege to see people be discipled, um, life transforming things and stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it's so different to make disciples, people who are committed. Um, and I was thinking about this uh, as the Lord laid this scripture in my heart. And my title for today is From Crowd to Committed, right? From Crowd to Committed is my title for today. And what I mean by that is how do you, what, what changes when you just become the crowd that is watching from, to when you become committed, a committed disciple? In this story, I want you to imagine two groups of people. The crowd that was running after Jesus and sitting there and receiving and being fed to the disciples who were tired. <laughs> not selling this very well, but trust me, we'll, we'll go through this together. The disciples who were tired had just come back from doing ministry, from seeing, from healing people and seeing people healed, from driving out demons and seeing demons being drove out. Um, and they were hangry, I think, because it says they haven't eaten. And um, what, what changes when you go from crowd to committed, from just a face in the crowd to a committed disciple walking with Jesus, okay? So my first point is this. Let me grab my little book. My first point is this. You go from running after to walking with Jesus. What do I mean by this? Look at this portion of scripture. The The story in the book of Mark starts off um, with... Um, you know, the disciples coming back, as we said, Jesus wanting to retreat and they are going to um, a solitary place because they just, Jesus said, come and get away with me to a quiet place and let's rest. And the crowd comes running, uh, looking for where Jesus is because they've heard the story and they run and they reach there before, it says in the Bible, they reach there before even Jesus reached there. So they were running after where Jesus was because they wanted to receive. Um, and they wanted to hear more. They wanted their sick to be healed. They wanted to be thought. So they ran after Jesus, right? But the disciples went away with Jesus and, and they were, you know, on the boat, on the boat with Jesus and they went together with Jesus there. Um, and then 
they thought they were getting themselves some rest <laughs> and probably some food because they were really hungry as well. Um, but then Jesus, being Jesus, saw the crowd that was running after him and he had compassion in his heart for them. In the book of Mark, the word that is used for compassion says that Jesus' heart broke for them. And I don't know what the disciples felt. If I was a disciple, I would be like, Jesus, come on, you preach all the time. You told us that this is rest and I'm tired and I'm hungry and I've just done ministry all over like all over the place few people drove out demons and now you want to teach these people come on Jesus I'm giving my life to you um but Jesus you know um Jesus just interrupted their plans as a disciple uh, as disciples you know their plan to go to this quiet place um Jesus interrupted it in the best of ways and from there you see the birth of a miracle what do I mean when I say when you go from crowd to committed, you go from running after Jesus and walking with Jesus. I want to highlight something really clear that is, it's good. It's good to be both crowd and committed, um, but there is a difference in what you experience. When you're the crowd, you're running after, and I want you to run after God's heart, you know, don't get me wrong. But you were, they were running after Jesus, looking, you know, there was not that sense of peace that Jesus was there with them always, that they always could walk with Jesus, that they could always have access with Jesus. They had to run and they had to scramble and they had to look for where Jesus was. They had to run to catch Jesus. And to do that, they had to get ahead of the game and get there before Jesus actually got there. Um, but what, what did the disciples have? when the disciples who were committed to Jesus had access, personal access to him, they could come, I don't know where they were, in his house or, you know, in a place, but they had that one-to-one -one communication with Jesus. They had, let's go on a retreat, like a holiday, you know what I mean, together. And that they just had that intimate, personal aspect with Jesus. When you go from crowd to committed, when you go from just coming on a Sunday to a committed member of a church, you get, or of a committed member of um, of this faith really, not just the church, this faith, um, you go from needing to run and scramble to try to get hold of Jesus to continuously day by day, even in the most mundane of things like needing to eat um, and needing to rest, um, you are walking with Jesus and there is a reason I picked the word walking and not you know running with Jesus or I don't know I can't think of anything else flying with Jesus and um, there's a reason I picked the word walking because the word walking has this element of you know when you compare running and walking I don't like to run um, <laughs> and but walking I love walking I love going out on uh, walks around the park because there's just this element of peace and rest and that's the reason I picked the word walking as I was as I was preparing for this because I want you to notice something that I'm really passionate about you know sometimes in ministry that you hear people say oh you know it's time to work when I'm alive I can rest when I'm dead or I can sleep when I'm dying or I think it's I can rest when I'm dead, I think is what people say. <laughs> now it's time to be um, running and working and doing all that I can. Now I appreciate the heart of doing everything that you can when you're alive and when you're um, young and when you're able to. But I really believe true life-giving ministry with Jesus is one that is a balance of working and resting. The rhythm of God and the rhythm of his creation is not just work, 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 work non-stop. You can see this with the Sabbath. Jesus, God worked for six days and rested for the Sabbath. In this portion of scripture, 
Jesus prioritizes, you know, after the disciples did the ministry and after they healed the sick, uh, drove out demons, preached the word, Jesus prioritized them and said, come, let's go away to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So that's why I chose the word walking with Jesus because there's an element of um, unrest um, when you are running um, and you're running after Jesus, trying to get there ahead of him. You know, you want to be there so that you can receive and um, which is that, that heart is good. But when you go from running to committed, wait, sorry, when you go for, from crowd to committed, you go from needing, feeling that anxiety of needing to get there first so that Jesus sees you or push through the crowd to get ahead. You go from, you go from that to that peace and walking with Jesus, even in the smallest things. And you go from understanding that there are moments for ministry, but there are also moments for rest and lamentation. Jesus was must have been heartbroken to hear about John the Baptist, Baptist being beheaded, even though, even though he knew it was part of the grander scheme of things. But you walk with Jesus. You walk and you take each daily step with Jesus. That's why when you become a committed disciple, um, things like daily reading of his word, daily worship, daily praise, and easier said than done, I 100% understand and agree. But that's why it changes from just the Sunday receiving to the daily, daily walk with Jesus. So that's my first point. Um, how What happens when you go from crowd to committed? You go from running after to walking with Jesus. What's point number two? My second point is this. You go from sitting back to breaking bread. From sitting back to breaking bread. What do I mean by this? As we go on through the scripture, in this portion of scripture, you see that um, the disciples, um, you know, the disciples say um, to Jesus, look, it's really late, send them all home. <laughs> and I just imagine myself in this scenario and think it's really funny because I would probably be like, right, Jesus, enough sharing of your word um send them home um <laughs> let them go and find their food can we please eat is what I, I i hear in this um and the disciples you know they knew that the people would be hungry and they said to jesus jesus look um why don't you send them home you know we're in a, for a desolate place a quiet place there's no food here and ask them to go and get their food and jesus says no you give them something to eat and i love that and we'll come back to that in a wee while let me tell you the rest of the story first and the disciples were like i basically are you crazy this will take half our year's salary to do this um and also there's no bread there's nothing here and jesus says to them what do you have now what do you already have um, and they say, well, you know, we have this five loaves and two fish. And in the book of um, John, I think the gospel of John, it says that a little boy was, that was his lunch. And so he gave that five loaves and two fish for them being like, look, I have five loaves and two fish. And the disciples uh, were like, yeah, we only have this. We'll probably be able to feed 10 people max. Um, and Jesus was like, give me what you have. He uh, gave thanks for it. And then he broke it and it fed the 5,000. What do I mean by you go from sitting back to breaking bread look at the heart of jesus in this place you know if jesus wanted to feed all this five thousand people he could have made it rain bread to be honest like he doesn't need to use the disciples he didn't need to ask them what do you have he probably already knew the boy had five loaves of two fish if he wanted he could throw he could have just made bread appear in their hands i don't know um if he wanted to do that he could he is the god of the impossible he could do whatever he wanted to but 
He wanted to use the disciples. He gave them an opportunity to be part of this miracle. And I think that part is so amazing. He asked them, you you give them something to eat. Um, and, and then later, if you, you know, when they get the five loaves of two fish, have this visual in your head. They surrender it to Jesus, probably not knowing what Jesus is going to do. Probably thinking to themselves, well, Jesus is going to feed 10 people then. And Jesus takes it, he gives thanks for what they already have and the surrender that they had. He breaks it. And Jesus could very much break it and then give it to the people himself, being like, look at me, I can do miracles. But what does he do? He breaks the bread and then he gives it to the disciples' hand and says, you go break the bread and feed them. So they then go, and I imagine it this way, I don't know what actually happened. Did Jesus already break and there was a lot? Or did Jesus break it in two and then gave it to the disciples and as they broke, the bread just never seemed to end and there was 12 basketfuls left over even after? Um, and I just think that that small change from Jesus just doing a miracle to Jesus involving the disciples to do the miracle. Why did I say from sitting back to breaking bread? Jesus, you know, the sitting back imagery is that, you know, when, when they wanted to feed the crowd, um, Jesus told the crowd to sit down and sit back in groups of fifties and hundreds. And, you know, they just obediently sat down. <laughs> um, and, you know, they were the crowd. They obediently sat down and they're going to be fed. But the disciples got to actively have the bread in their hand and actively be a part of that miracle. The crowd watched and experienced the miracle, which is amazing in itself. Being able to sit firsthand to watch Jesus feed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. Crazy, amazing in itself. But what did the disciples get to do? The disciples got to broke the break the bread and be an active part of that miracle. That day will forever be a story that they can not just say, wow, I watched Jesus break 5,000, um, feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. That story will then become to them, wow, Jesus used me as a vessel to feed 5,000 people and he gave me, he did the miracle through me and I saw the bread break in my, the not bread, the bread multiply in my hand. I broke it every time and it never stopped. That story becomes from just watching to their story, their testimony that they were a part of it. That's what my point is. When you go from crowd to committed disciple, you go from just sitting back and watching, which is amazing in itself, but you go from sitting back to being the one breaking the bread, being the one that see you see yourself being a vessel for a miracle. And some of you will be thinking to yourself, well, what do I have, you know, to be a part, to be committed? You know, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to, and I'm remind, I just wanted to remind you, it's not in the church context that I'm talking about, it's in your whole life context, you know? Um, they they weren't actually doing ministry. They were probably going for a retreat, uh, and there was an opportunity to do some sort of retreat, uh, some ministry there. And um, I'm, I want you to know that my heart with this, as I share with you, is not just commitment to the church, which is so important, but it's commitment to Jesus, to God, to this life that you have chosen. You know, many of you know I work as a doctor for the NHS, um, and. Um, you know, this this commitment also applies to my primary calling as a medic. Um, you know, it's not just my calling to the church. It is also I I um, you know you I you give what you have. You go from crowd to committed, uh, not just in the church but also in the call other areas of your life that you uh, God is calling you from going from a bystander to a committed active participant. Um, and in my work, I also see um, the. 
the fruits of being committed to Jesus and committed to the uh, walk with Jesus and how that plays out in the work field and in the marketplace and I think that is so important for you to remember and to know as well um, and some of you might be asking yourself well what do I have to give you know um, what do I have to give um, is there even a need in the church or around me that I need to give and some of you leaders will be thinking well how do we know when someone is ready from going to crowd to commit it let me tell you the first question what do I have you already have everything you need and I want you to see that in this portion of scripture what did Jesus say to them Jesus didn't say right okay now please go to the store and please buy flour and like yeast how do you make bread I have no idea <laughs> please flour and yeast maybe and eggs or something like that anyway <laughs> Jesus didn't say um, go and buy these ingredients let's make bread from scratch and then let's go feed 5,000 people no what did he say to them what do you have you are already equipped in the areas of your life that God is calling you to go from crowd to committed, you are already equipped. You already have what you need. When I took up this role as coordinator, I was a gung-ho 19-year-old girl and I didn't realize what I had or didn't have. Um, but God had already equipped me with my skills and my talents, um, with, um, with also the things that I'm not good at and with the team beside me to compensate for those areas. You know, um, God had already equipped me with what I already had. I didn't have to then the next day go to Bible school or the next day go for a leadership course. I already had everything that I needed. Um, and my question to you is, what do you have? Your skills, your talents, your personality, you know? I thought it was so funny that Tiong's said last week he was so he's so introverted I am so extroverted if you know me I'm so loud and I'm so noisy and I love talking all the time <laughs> and me and Tiong would be the opposites of each other but look how God used our personalities Tiong is a coordinator I'm a coordinator we have the opposite personalities but God still uses us God still can use whatever you have you know um, and I pray that this is an encouragement to you, um, you know, just take a moment, look at what you have, give thanks for what you have, as Jesus did in this story, and surrender what you have to Jesus and trust God to do the rest. Your next question will be, maybe there's not even a need. My church has so many people, everybody's already serving, you know, you see the whole team serving, what do I need to do? There's no need. The crowd in this area never ever said to Jesus, oh Jesus, I'm hungry. The disciples recognized that they were there was a need. They were like, well, it's really late. Um, these people must be hungry. And a lot of ministry is like that. You know, I don't wake up, a lot of our leaders don't wake up every day thinking, oh, right, there's this need, there's that need. You know, you just, sometimes it's tapping and being in tune with, with people that are around you. And sometimes it takes you, you watching, you might know a need that us leaders don't even know. You know, in your workplace, you might know a need in your workplace that, the the work organization doesn't even know and you might hear a need in the world that other people around you who have the resources to meet those needs doesn't doesn't even know about sometimes all it needs and uh, all you need to do is if some god lays in your heart something if god breaks your heart the way jesus had compassion and his heart broke for those people if that is you then let uh, you know, say, tell someone, tell a leader, tell a friend, someone that you're like, hey, actually, I've been thinking about this need. And then, you know, it. there's not always an evident need that you can meet, but you never know, if God lays something on your heart, you never know what need we could meet. 
And the third question for some leaders out there, you'll be wondering to yourself, how do I know when someone goes from, someone is ready to go from crowd to committed? And this is why it's important, you know, when your church leaders or when people give you the call, hey, um, you know, are you uh, are you willing to serve? Hey, um, or in your workplace, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to step out to that? How do you know when someone is um, ready to go from crowd to committed? You see an aspect like the little boy in this story that is said in the book of John. You will find, you know, you will find people stepping up and offering what they have. If you currently feel like you're in the crowd, I want to implore you, I want to ask you if you are ready, if you are feeling ready from going to crowd to committed and want to start that, offer the little that you have. If you think it's little, offer the little that you have. Um, as, and as we know in the story, little is so, so much in God's hands. Um, and offer the little that you have to your leaders, to your workplace, to the um, to wherever else the Lord has called you to. And, and then that gives a sense to your leaders to say, hey, this person is offering what they have. Maybe they're ready to go from crowd to committed. This is my story in ex-Edinburgh. Every, you know, I, we have so, we are small in number. But we always joke and say we have a 100% serving rate. And you know, you're, to you, you'll be like 100% is 12 people. I have 12 people serving in my plant or I have more than 12 people serving. But for us, for me, it's been a privilege to be able to watch these 12 people offer um, their, their, their talents and their skills and the little that they have to me when they're ready. You know, it's very difficult to ask people to serve because we'll always have a need to serve. So um, it's very tough to be like, please serve, you know, and you don't want to force people to do things that they're not comfortable with, especially in such a small congregation where, where there is always a need to serve. Um, but over the years, I've seen pre-believers ready, pre-believers who show me a sign that they're ready to become from a pre-believer to a partner. I've seen partners who've been with us for two or three years, suddenly when they're ready to step from crowd to committed, they come up to me and be like, Rachel, did you know I can play the keyboard? This is the true stories. Rachel, do you know I can do this? I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this to start at homes, but I'm willing to move up to service, you know. I've seen pre-believers ready when they ask and when they open their mouths and tell me I'm ready to take this step. So, um, um, so my first point, when you go from crowd to committed, uh, you know, you go from running after to walking with Jesus. My second point is you go from sitting back to breaking bread. And my third point is this. You need to bear with me with this one. <laughs> My third point is from satisfied to completely amazed. From satisfied to completely amazed. This one is not as obvious when you first think about it, but um, you know, in verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So we, the crowd, and I think the disciples were satisfied with what they had eaten. And being satisfied is good, right? There's nothing bad. There's nothing bad with being crowd. It's just sometimes better being committed, being a disciple. So, you know, you read this portion of scripture and there's no like, you know, it's a miracle to us and we're all like, wow, you know, but there's no description of the disciples being amazed at what has happened. Um, and there's no description of the disciples being like, wow, Jesus fed the 5,000, you know? 
the next portion of scriptures that fo- that follows this is when Jesus walks on water. You know, um, they retreat to a solitary place. Jesus goes to pray and asks them to just uh, sail the boat. And the winds and the waves are coming around and they're really struggling. Jesus walks on water to them. They get worried because they think um, that they've seen a ghost. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. It is I. And that was in the same day. And it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. I find this part super interesting and to be honest, a reality of being a disciple. You know, when you're a disciple, you see Jesus working so much. Sometimes you see him working when you're tired and hungry. Um, (laughs) And... Their hearts were hardened, and it says in the scripture, their hearts were hardened. And I wonder, and I've been thinking about why were their hearts hardened to that situation? Jesus used them directly in that miracle, and yet their hearts were hardened, yet they didn't see the miracle that was happening around that, yet they didn't understand that miracle as it says in the word. Um, And, you know, that's the reality of being a disciple. Let me tell you, um, there have been periods of my life that being a disciple has been difficult. There are periods of my life that I don't immediately recognize that God is working through me and within me as well. Um, And... And that's, that, that is also part of the beautiful part of being a disciple. When you're walking with Jesus, when you go from sitting back to actively breaking bread, you see you are just constantly surrounded by the goodness and the miracle and the power of Jesus' ministry, the power of what is God is doing through you within your callings in your life. And in periods of your life, you won't understand what God is doing, you won't recognize that Jesus is moving and performing a miracle. The crowd recognized that. I'm sure they did. There's portions, the other portions of scripture says the crowd were amazed. But the disciples, their hearts were hardened because maybe they were tired and hungry. But what is the beauty of walking with Jesus and following Jesus and being committed? You see miracle after miracle after miracle. You see from miracles in the crowd to miracles that are personal and look at that story you know there wasn't a crowd it was just the 12 of them on the boat and Jesus walked to them and silenced the winds and the waves could the crowd see that no the disciples saw that because they walked with Jesus they had this relationship with him they were on the boat without him but he came on the boat <laughs> but they were out in sea because of they had this personal relationship with him and you get to see when you walk with Jesus, you get to see miracles that other people don't see. You get to have testimonies that other people don't get to have because you're, you're every day of your life. You know, that feeding the 5,000 happened in the day, calming the winds and the waves happened in the evening. That's life with Jesus. You know, it's one thing after the other, after the other. And there will be moments you don't understand slash you don't care slash you just want to eat. You don't really care about what's going on. And then there'll be moments where you're afraid and scared because you've chosen to do this ministry with the Lord and he silences the winds and the waves and it all comes down and you think to yourself, wow. And, you know, why did I tell you that story in the beginning of my um, the game that I had? That was the day I looked at my team and thought to myself, these ladies, they've just gone from crowd to committed. When you're just part of the crowd, um, you 
you run after the great moments, right? You're running after Jesus because you're like, oh, um, this is the time that I can receive. You know, this is the time I can receive. But what happens to the committed? The committed are there when you receive, when you don't receive, when there are winds and waves, then there are storms, when there's, I don't know what else, I can't think of the top of my mind. But my girls that day went from crowd to committed. They didn't just come to a game because they were going to win. We were a pretty good team. They didn't just come to the game because we were going to win another match. They came to the game even knowing that we will probably lose when we're short stuff, when there was a wind and a wave and a storm. They went from just sitting back to being the ones breaking the bread. What do I mean by that? That moment when I stood in the center and I saw people screaming and cheering in the audience and people were clapping and cheering us on being like, you know, that, that kind of... Do you ever get that feeling when you watch like football, for example, and someone scores a sick goal and you think to yourself, I think this to myself, I'm like, I, want, I wish I was the one scoring that goal um, because there is a difference from being the crowd who watched that and has an like ecstatic joy from being the one who's watching that and you're like, yes, I can't believe this. But there's a difference than being the person who actually scores the goal because it's your story. You kick that ball into the goal. For me, you, my team, you know, that, that visual of looking up um, at the at the stands and seeing people clap and cheer, you know, I was ecstatic because of that. But I looked down and I saw the tears in my girl's eyes and the and the pure joy of being a part of that story, of that story being happened because they showed up. And it's a visual I will never forget. I will never forget what it means like to the difference between crowd and commitment. And that story lives on in their lives till today. It lives on in my life today because we were a part of that story. And you go from being satisfied to completely amazed. My girls went from, and I went from just being satisfied of, um, you know, with the wins that we normally have, you know, or, you know, just being satisfied that we showed up. Um, but something clicked, something changed that day. I went from just being satisfied we were with where we were at as a team to being completely amazed at the skill my girls had and the talent at the composure at the discipline um, and also at that victory completely completely amazed at what happened that day and it changed the course of my club those girls who became then committed were on fire when they just because they showed up they got to experience you know the, they showed up the other matches as well and they were just satisfied you know just satisfied but because they chose to go from crowd to committed they got an opportunity to be completely completely amazed and they suddenly became the rock of my team our team accelerated we didn't we were you know we were not doing really well but then we came in second and that's a huge jump for a small team like mine and something changed in their heart because there was a fire for more. When you are committed and when you have come to a point in your life that you are completely amazed at what God can do and you have been an active part of that, let me tell you, you will ache for more and you were made for that ache. You will ache for more to see and to experience what it is like to be a committed disciple. Can I ask you, church, if you, not just in this church, please remember that in whatever calling and ministry the Lord has laid in your life, if you feel a tug in your heart to go from crowd to committed, I pray 
I pray that you will answer that call. Open your mouth, say something. Your leaders will hear you. If it's in this church, if it's in your work, have the boldness to go up to your boss and be like, I am ready to give more. If you don't know what you have, take a moment, make a list of what you already have and give thanks for it and surrender it to the Lord because I believe the Lord can do so much to what you already have. He has already equipped you. And I pray that as you choose to do this, as you think about this, that you realize that one day you will go from just being satisfied to being completely amazed at what God can do. As we end, um, I want to, you know, I thought it was an utmost privilege to be able to speak on X um, church 21st anniversary. And I want to give this as an example. Um, you know, um, little is so much in God's hands. The five loaves and two fish, God multiplied to feed the 5,000. And it wouldn't have, it could have happened without the disciples, but Jesus wanted them to be involved. Jesus wanted them to be a part of this and have this as their story. 21 years ago, three people began to meet um, for Acts Church, um, to start Acts Church. And that was from a pure obedience, a radical obedience to the Lord. And those three people, you know, I've been in those positions before where there's just three people and you think to yourself, what on earth am I doing? <laughs> But those three people had God's heart. They understood that God was going to use them. Maybe not in the way, uh, maybe they had visions and dreams, but maybe they didn't know what God had in store. Um, but they chose to be obedient. Little did they know, um, people like me have experienced the ripple, have been, a, have been able to experience the ripple effect of their faithfulness. I didn't grow up in X Church. I didn't go to X Church when I was in Malaysia. I but I went to a conference that they had, you know, and that conference was had because somewhere in the few, in the past, three people met faithfully. And I remember being a 15 year old girl um, and I was at this conference and singing the song that actually Noel led us in last week called Have Your Way. And that was the anthem of my teenage life. I'm not, you know, I don't even know who wrote the song, whoever wrote the song, it was the anthem of my life. Um, and when I was 15, I remember standing in the crowd you know, and I, I was baptized when I was young. Um, my dad and mom, you know, made us, always made us serve in church and encouraged us. But, you know, sometimes you do things because you have to. Um, but when I was 15, I remember standing in that crowd and singing that song. And that was the day I decided that I'm going to go from crowd to committed. And that was a turning pivotal point in my life. Um, and the three people who met in 2020, eh? 2000, I guess, <laughs> um, would have never known that their faithfulness would have had an effect in my life and it will bring me to where I am today in my life. And it has, you know, uh, God used them as a vessel and as an instrument to touch my life. When you give the little that you have, the way those three people gave, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. This 21 year celebration is possible because of God but because you availed yourself to be a vessel. Every person that came after that also made themselves available to be a vessel and an opportunity for me to be touched and commit my life to Christ um, and commit not just as a pre-believer to a partner, but as a partner to a disciple, to a pioneer. Um, and I, I just pray that um, this will be an encouragement to you um, to any of you listening, um, you know, wherever stage you are at, if 
I want to pray and ask you to um, just just think about what I've said about how life is different when you go from crowd to a committed disciple. Um, and I pray and I really ask that you will be completely amazed at what God has in store for you. If you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you join me in saying this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.